Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. We are continuing this series, Sex by Design, and looking at God's created design for sex, marriage, male, female. And this week, after last week, we started at In His Image, we are covering He Created Them Male. Next week, we'll cover He Created Them Female. But let me give you a little bit of insight into kind of my background or life or college experience that'll give us some traction for where we're going. My senior year in high school, I had a chance or got recruited by a coach at Texas A&M. There we go, get that out of the way. And he recruited me for a sport I had never played before. And it was that of javelin or throwing the javelin for track and field. And I, like most of this room probably, had never done that before, didn't know anyone who had done that before. And he recruited basically football and baseball players and he would test their arm strength. And, and if he thought they could, he would say, man, I will te- if you will come here, I will teach you how to throw the javelin. And as you would imagine, there's not a lot of competition, which is the only reason why I was able to play or run and do a sport at A&M. But the reason he was effective at doing this, and he had really built an effective program as a part of their track and field, was because he himself was one of the best javelin throwers that's ever lived. He was an Olympian, he had medaled, and so he knew exactly how to train and knew how to throw, and it was a chance to go learn from quite literally one of the best. Now, what does that have to do with manhood? Well, this morning, we're going to look at God's created design of Adam and how he created man, and specifically what a godly man or God's man is to look like and to do. But we're also going to see the parallel in Christ and how ultimately the perfect example of God's man is seen in Jesus. In other words, we're going to get to learn from the best, not by looking at Adam, although we'll start there and look at God's design, but also looking at Jesus and learning from the best. So we're going to talk about biblical manhood. And next week, as I said, we'll dive into biblical womanhood. But this is an issue that, quite frankly, last week was pretty sensational or or culturally relevant or hot topic. This may be the most important message in the series. Because godly men and men in general are responsible and have the potential to be responsible for tremendous good in our world. And they also have the potential to have tremendous impact for harm. That it is godly men being strong and humble and like Christ that are a source of tremendous good in a world of chaos. And our world has a lot of confusion around this in terms like toxic masculinity, as we're gonna see, the goal should not be being less masculine. God created men to be masculine, but the goal should be to be better in the masculinity, more like Christ in masculinity. The reason I say the potential damage is some of the most deep pain represented in this room is a result of a man in your life not being God's man. A father that wasn't who God called and said men should be. And on the flip side, some of the best good in many of our lives is the result of men being God's men in our life. Quite honestly, it was the church, one of God's greatest gifts in my own life was being raised by primarily a single mother, God's provision through the church of godly men over and over and over to be that in my life, to show and to model and give an example of that. I think of Jess Larson, I think of of Paul Lyle, I think of 
David Phil, I think of Kyle Kegler, Bron Brown, I think of many of the men that God just placed. And if you're new here, you need to know that no matter your story, you're in a place that there are godly men who love Jesus and are modeling. And there are women in this church who would line up and say, I want more godly men like this, more men who are strong and serve and use their strength to serve and sacrifice for the good of others. Because our world, quite sadly, is experiencing a lot of pain of the absence of that being the case. For the very first time in American history, a majority of children are born to single mothers. Specifically, 60% of children born to women under 30 are born to a single mother in the USA, which is a result of men not being who God designed, created them to be, as in someone who doesn't just get someone pregnant, but stays and raises and parents and serves. The epidemic of fatherlessness is having some real implications. In fact, the data shows that 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 85% of young men that are in prison are from fatherless homes. 75% of patients in psychiatric treatment facilities are from fatherless homes. And I mentioned there's some confusion. This lack of people having a clear vision for what God created men to be, that he created you to be God's man, has led men to look for alternative versions that, that are in some ways toxic. The Andrew Tate phenomenon is a result of a lack of clear vision on how do I be God's man? So this morning, we are gonna look at God's created design in Adam and then see from the master of manhood himself, Jesus, how he fulfills what Adam was intended to be and how he calls all of us and all of us who are men to be those things and how that is a great gift to the women in this room, to the world around us because strong men are there in opposition and provide in a world that is full of wicked or weak men and strong godly men and if you're here, God wants to use you, he's not done with you, whatever your story, there is hope and you can be God's man. So we're gonna be in Genesis. If you have a Bible, you can flip open to Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter one, is the creation story, but it's really high level, 30,000 feet. Genesis chapter two is the ground level where God gives us more specifics on how we created Adam, how we created Eve, and the creation account itself. So we're gonna look at God's created design in Adam first in verse seven of chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screens. And we also have Bibles in our welcome center we'd love to give you as a gift if you don't have one. Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man who, whom he had formed. Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The first thing that we're told, God creates man and he gives him a very clear instruction. And the instruction is related to, hey, you can eat from these things, but you shouldn't eat from this tree. The first instruction or thing that we see that was fulfilled in Christ and given as an invitation to Adam is that God's man was to be someone who courageously followed God's word. That God's man courageously follows God's word. It's the same case today. It was the same case with Adam. Now you may be wondering, well, courageously follows God's word. I mean, we didn't really have God's word with Adam in the garden, right? There wasn't Bibles at that time. <clears throat> Incorrect. Although there was not Bibles, there was God's word. It was very simple. It was one command. 
The entire Bible could have fit on a fortune cookie. It is, you are to not eat of this tree. Sadly, as we know, and we'll see in a second, Adam failed to courageously follow God's word and in doing so brought a lot of chaos into our world. But the same is true today, that when you and I decide not to follow God's word as it relates to how to date, as it relates to how to forgive a spouse, pursue a spouse, how to handle finances, how to work at work, how to live on mission, how to see the world around us. All of these are to be the things that inform us, God's word, to be an instruction manual to men and to women, but specifically in this case with men, that we courageously follow, that we decide I'm going to follow what God's word says as it relates to my time, as it relates to stewarding anything that God has given me, as it relates to the parents I'm gonna be, as it relates to choosing to forgive someone when they hurt me, as it relates to how I'm gonna work at the job that I have, I'm gonna courageously follow God's word. In other words, God's word gives us the clarity on what the abundant life Jesus would say or living a meaningful life where purpose is found, that we don't have to wonder in a world of confusion. There's an industry right now that annual, the annual revenue of this industry is more than the NHL, NFL, MLB, MLS, and NBA, plus all of Hollywood's annual revenue stream combined. Anyone know what it is? It's not porn, though that may be true too. It's video games. The annual revenue of the video game industry is annually more than all of the major sports in America, every, all of Hollywood's movies combined times a factor of three. It's $300 billion annually. It's crazy. It's exploded on the scene. Now, you could wonder about why and whether that's a good productive use of time. Probably not. But the point of this illustration is more when you think of that, why is that so common? Like, why is it such widely appealing to people that they're playing video games. And when you think about a video game, well, there's certain aspects of it where you go, this is at least part of why. A video game has real clarity on the objective of the game, that people play it and they know how to win. They know who the, who the enemy is or they know what the objective of the game is and how to succeed and they can work at being more and more successful. In other words, they have tremendous clarity when they enter into that space on, hey, here's exactly how at least to win. I may not win, but here's clarity on how to win. And in a world that has so much confusion on, on what does it look like to be successful, to be God's man, to be God's woman, to live out and experience the abundant life in Christ in a world that is feeding all kinds of opinions and messages Believers have been given an incredible gift of clarity from God on, hey, this is what life is actually about. This is how you are to date someone if you're dating. These are the qualities and characteristics to look for in a spouse someday. These are the ways to love and to care for the spouse that you have. And in a world that doesn't have clarity, we've been given clear, objective clarity from God himself on how to succeed, so to speak. Adam was given that same clarity and sadly, he failed to follow and to lead. But if I stopped right here, I mean, all of the different points that we're gonna look at, they provide a pretty wide fairway. No matter your wiring or personality or uh, your passions personally, you can do this. You can follow God's word courageously. If you're a man in the room, you can decide, I'm gonna choose to follow God's word courageously. God says, get connected to a local church and get plugged in and live authentically with people. I'm gonna choose to do that. No matter where you're at in the room, you can choose to do this today. In other words, the biblical spectrum of masculinity, it's a pretty broad fairway. Society, and sadly, sometimes in the church, we can get caught up in stereotypes of like, here's what a man is. A man, they drive a truck, they bench press a certain amount, not great hygiene, they're really into the Dallas Cowboys. And all these over, 
overly simplistic things and we can attach and you know, if they're artistic or they like music or painting, then you know, they're not really manly, but Jesus loves you too. And that's just not the case. It's a really broad spectrum. And if God made you with artistic gifts, that's a God-given gift. That doesn't mean any less masculine or any more feminine that there's a broad fairway and God made you how he made you. And we see that honestly over and over in the scripture, that the idea that these stereotypes of, hey, men don't shed tears or they don't have emotions, that's not a biblical idea. If it was, there'd be some real problems with King David. I don't know if you know much about King David. King David didn't just slay Goliath, he also was called the sweet psalmist of Israel, that he wrote poetry over and over, that he was also emotional. We're told that he would weep and be covered in tears. I mean, the idea that, you know, King David was not a man is insane, especially when, you know, King David at one point, 1 Samuel 17 says, he was out shepherding his sheep and a bear came up and he killed the bear with his bare hands. You want to say King David is not a man because he sheds tears or writes poetry? Look, I don't care how much CrossFit you have been doing in the room. If a bear comes up in your life, you are not killing it with your bare hands. And yet that's King David. So this is a pretty broad fairway. And no matter where you're at, you can courageously decide, I'm going to follow God's word. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of this, where even when it costs him, he decided, I'm going to go to God's word to be my guide. Matthew chapter four, we don't have time to go into it, but Jesus faced his own temptation. He's been fasting in the wilderness and He's tempted by Satan, we're told, and each time Jesus is tempted, he responds with the word of God. Satan says, hey, turn these rocks into loaves, and Jesus said, it's written that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word of God, that every time he responds by courageously following God's word. He also courageously follows God's will in Mark chapter 14, hours before he was about to die, where he pleads with God, please take this cup, but if you don't, I will follow your will. And we see the ultimate example of what a man is in Christ, and one of those things is that he courageously follows God's word. Now, here would be just a pause application. In order to follow it, you've got to know it. And so one of the ways that you can courageously be God's man is by deciding, I am going to study and learn God's word. I, that will enable me to spiritually lead my home. That will enable me to experience the life that Christ has for me. But you have got to decide, I'm going to learn God's word. And we want to help you. You're in a great place to learn it. There are all types of equipping opportunities and men's Bible study classes and things throughout the fall. Join us this fall every Thursday morning to learn God's word. There's resources and incredible apps the gift of living in 2023 is there are so many different ways that you can learn God's word right from your phone or right from your home and journey through it. But you've got to make the decision. I want to know and understand God's word in order to courageously follow it, but I've got to know it. The other application would be, maybe there is something. And if you were honest, you do know an area of your life that God's word is clear on. Maybe it's something you need to confess because he says, confess your sins to one another and live authentically so you would be healed, James 5.17. Maybe it is that you haven't been connected to a church. And the scriptures say that you and I are to be connected underneath elders and a part of a, a local body in Christ that cares and knows. And maybe this morning, this courageous step you need to take is getting connected here or connected at a church in general. Maybe it's to forgive someone. The scriptures say that you and I are called to forgive, that there's a, a hurt, a wound, something that you're carrying and you didn't deserve it and it wasn't right. But here's the truth, especially for you men. Any bitterness and hurt that you carry that you don't 
bring to Jesus and let him transform into forgiveness, you will transfer into the relationships around you. That any hurt that you're carrying that you don't choose, courageously choose, I'm gonna choose to forgive. Maybe there's father wounds that you need to choose to forgive. Some hurts, something from a previous relationship. I don't know what it is, but you have got what it takes and you can be God's man and choose. I'm gonna courageously follow God's word. Second thing we see is in his relationship, specifically to Eve. So Genesis chapter two, verse 18, it says this. Then the Lord God said, I love this. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. It's just Adam, all the animals, and God declares, yeah, this is not gonna be good if he's all by himself. This is not gonna go well if he's alone. And so I'll make a helper. Now, before you jump on the word helper, that can honestly come across like negative or putting down. The Hebrew word for helper that he's using for Eve is most often used in the Bible for God. That if anything, it's promoting or it's putting in a place of esteem, not devaluing her as man and woman are both equal. But Adam, God looks at and says, he's gonna need some help. So he does this, verse 19. Now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see him, to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. So all these animals are coming up, Adam's naming them. The man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. God puts Adam under supernatural anesthesia. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, he busts out in song, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She was taken, she should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man will leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and we're not ashamed. So Adam's sitting there, he's naming all the animals. So we got like boy rhino, girl rhinoceros, boy pigeon, girl pigeon, boy giraffe, girl giraffe. And God causes him to fall asleep. He's under the anesthesia. And then he wakes up and the context was he's naming all the animals and God brings him a newly created woman, sinless, naked woman. And he does, of course, what you would do, which is bust out in song ecstatically. After naming all these animals, and he's going like a giraffe and a giraffe and a giraffe and a giraffe. And the Hebrew language that he busts out into the song is mine. That's essentially what he says, that my flesh, my bone, as he's looking at this, of all the other things, God, these are all great. But this one right here, this one is mine. And this one is special, as any guy would, as they see for the very first time, Eve, Eve. And... <laughs> God in creating the way that he did is also communicating something. The second thing that we see is that God's man and Christ fulfilled this again is to love and protect God's woman. Now I'm gonna explain why I say that. That he is to love and protect God's woman. That he's to lead and love and protect God's woman. God has given him that responsibility. I want you to think about this creation and the order of things and why it would be the case that it is. Every other animal that God creates, he creates them two by two. Why does he make Adam 
and then make Eve? In other words, why didn't he just create them both at the same time? Well, because he is communicating something. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 would later go on to say this, that God created man first and gave him the responsibility and role to lead. That he has the responsibility from God to lead. And Adam was to lead and love and to protect his wife. Biblically, leadership is synonymous with serving. In other words, he's given the task of being chief servant. Jesus would say in Mark 10, that whoever wants to be great must be the greatest servant of all. Whoever to be first must be slave of all. So leadership biblically is synonymous with serving. But God is creating, hey, I'm creating you first, Adam. And then he brings her to Eve and Adam names Eve. He's given the leadership and the role and the responsibility of loving and leading and protecting. The God of your husband has given you the role of leading and protecting and loving the Eves in your life, specifically the wife that you have, and doing so in a way that honors, cherishes, protects, considerates. That you are the spirit, God has given you the responsibility of being the spiritual leader in your home. And you can do this. And God has called you to do this. And being God's man looks like you doing this. Adam, sadly, failed to do just that. And here's what happened as a result. Chapter three, verse one, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any animals of the wild, any of the wild animals than the Lord God made. Serpent is synonymous with Satan. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Now, let me hit pause. God didn't say that. There's nothing and no mention of, hey, if you touch it, you will die. In other words, Adam's fortune cookie Bible, he had failed to rightly teach to Eve. For whatever reason, maybe she misheard, or Adam, because Eve wasn't there when God gave them that one command. She wasn't formed yet. And Adam had not communicated or clarified, hey, this is the command from God. He'd wrongly done that. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Now here, she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. Wait a second. Adam is standing there? Adam is hearing his wife wrongly recite the verse, the only verse they had, that Adam is watching this whole exchange, that Adam didn't step in and protect his wife, knowing God had given this command, knowing the consequences that were happening. What is he doing? Maybe Adam is sitting there thinking, man, if she eats it and she dies... I'm not responsible, but if she doesn't, maybe a serpent's right and I win. Maybe Adam's using her, we are not entirely told, but Adam's passivity had real consequences and it was that passivity which is why God would say sin came into the world through Adam, that Adam was called to lead and to love and to protect Eve and he failed to do so. And the same invitation and call men to you is to love and lead and protect 
all of the Eves in your life, especially your spouse, but this would apply to any of the women that are here, that you're to be an example and to be a servant and to be a carer of all the women, all of the mothers that are represented here through relationship, the sisters in your life, all of the women in your life, that God's man steps up and loves and leads and serves the Eves in his life. Sadly, Adam failed to do that and sin entered the world and everything fractured. Jesus would give us the perfect example where Adam failed of fulfilling and succeeding in this, where he shows his love for his bride, which is called the church. Paul would point to this and call men to follow Christ's example as it relates to caring for the wives in their life. He said this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the word. That Paul says, husbands, you're to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Don't follow Adam's example, follow Christ's example. What does it mean to give yourself up? It means that you die to your own preferences, you die to yourself, and you lovingly lead and serve the eaves in your life. Single men, if you are not married or you're dating someone, this looks like you honoring them in dating relationships. That looks like if you say you're gonna call them, then you call them. If you say, hey, I'd love to do this again, but you don't really mean it, you don't say, I'd love to do this again. That you use your words, you bring clarity to the relationship and you honor them every step along the way. That if you're a high school student, you honor the women in your class. You honor them with your words, you honor them and you honor the parents, the mothers that you have. That God's men step up and imperfectly, but at least purposefully try to honor and love and care for God's woman. Adam tragically failed, and in Jesus we see an incredible example of a man who steps up and loves and sacrifices for the benefit of the Eves in his life. So much so that even in Jesus' ministry, there's so many examples of him being incredibly loving, caring, strong with the women that he interacted with. We see one of the more compelling or interesting ones, I think, in some of his final breaths in life we often talk about Jesus hanging on a cross and he's being crucified and he has different sayings that you probably have heard of. You may have heard like, it is finished. Or you may have heard, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just different sayings Jesus cried out from the cross. But there's another one that relates to women or a woman in Jesus's life that gives us an indication of how he cared. It's specifically related to his mother. That he's hanging on a cross, he's breathing his last breaths, about to be separated or God's back turned on him. And he says this in John chapter 19, verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he's looking down from the cross. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. And Jesus from the cross says, John, take care of my mom. Because godly men love and protect and look out for and lead the Eves in their life. And Jesus, even in his final moments on the cross before we would die for the bride of Christ in his life, shows us that. The final thing we see from God's created design, after looking at how God's men courageously follow God's word, they love and protect God's women, is also that God's man betters God's world. In chapter one, we read this verse last week. It says, God blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Have children, fill the earth and subdue it. And then this week we read verse 15 of chapter two, the Lord took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. 
that God gives man the instruction to go subdue the earth, go work the earth, go build alongside of God and bring order to the world around him. Just like man is made in God's image and in chapter one, God's creating the world and there's chaos and God in his spirit brings order to it and waters here and land here and light and darkness. Man was instructed by God before the fall. In other words, you know, a nine to five is not the byproduct of the fall. How your nine to five goes maybe because of the curse that comes at the end of chapter three, but Work was something God gave to man to build, to create, to bring order, that he created him with the purpose of bettering God's world. And the three things that we can see in the entirety of the Bible, but certainly here, is that happens through the home. He said, be fruitful, multiply, bring about children. Happens through excelling at God's work, his job and bringing order through that. And then as we know, now in light of Christ, living not for this world, but for eternity. So what I mean, the idea of reproducing is mentioned in chapter 1, verse 28. That God commanded, hey, you are to raise children and bring them up. Scriptures command us to bring them up in a godly home, to raise up and send out. As we said a few weeks ago, most of us, the greatest contribution we will have in life is not something you do or something you accomplish, but someone you raise. And God has given the instruction and command of making disciples in the home. Candidly, I worked, as I mentioned before, for 12 years with young adults. I had thousands and thousands of conversations with different young adults. And the number of times that someone would tell their story and tell how they grew up and tell how they were privileged and had lots of financial things in their life and their parents or their dad paid for college and bought them their first car, but he just wasn't present. And the pain that you could see the, the greatest command and thing that you, if your father, are called by God to give your, parent, give your children is not college tuition. It is a loving, intentional, godly, present father. And to sacrifice that in the name of providing is catastrophic. And quite honestly, I've seen how catastrophic it is. And yet if you are a father, you have got this. And with the body of Christ around you, you can be God's man. You can be intentional. You can raise children who, whether they know Jesus or not, is not guaranteed. But whether they were in a home that loved Jesus can be. If you decide, I'm going to be intentional about God's call and bettering our world and specifically doing it through parents. I mean, it's hard to overstate the influence that parents, specifically fathers, have. Like if I was asked the question, who in this room knows the full name of their great-grandfather? Some of us probably would. If I said your great-great-grandfather, probably a lot less. So three generations and you can't remember their name. But if I was asked this room, who can remember the name of their father? You couldn't forget him. For better or for worse, the undeniable impact that fathers have. And like many of maybe you in this room, you are from a home where you didn't see that model and example. And I am so glad that you're here. My story includes that as well. And surrounding you right now are some amazing, amazing godly men who love Jesus. They're not perfect, but they are purposefully trying to be God's man in the home and better our world around us through how they can handle and raise children. So the first one, better our world through raising children. The second of excelling at God's work, as I mentioned Work was given to man before the fall. And God has given you the opportunity through working a job to provide for your family and to provide 
a place for you to promote the teachings of Jesus. In other words, work is a place for you to provide for the needs of your family and to promote the teachings of Jesus. That comes from 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 Timothy 5, which we don't have time to go into. But God has placed you at the work environment to be a godly employer, that you run a firm and you're a godly example of what that looks like, which means you run it with integrity, you're honest, you're intentional and kind to the employees that you have. Maybe you're an employee, that you have an opportunity to be a godly employee to be a light, as Jesus would call it, in a dark place. So you're at Deloitte and no one else knows Jesus, but you're there. And God's man sees the job that they have as a chance to provide financially for the needs that you have and to promote the teachings of Jesus. Titus 2 would say, when you work, do everything in order to make the teachings of our Lord and Savior more attractive. So God's man betters our world through how they raise or intentional if they have children and raising disciples and then how they work and model and live out their faith in the workplace. And then finally, he betters God's world by not living for this world. The God's man and godly men, again, all of which we see in Jesus, better God's world by not living for this world. First Timothy chapter six, verse 11, Paul would say this, but you, man of God, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you we're called. Don't live for this life. Don't live for right now. That God's man has a kingdom mindset and lives for eternity. That they understand life is short. Devoting to the acquiring of more stuff or more vacations is a fool's way of living life. That God's man understands the best way I can better this world is to not live for this world. And that influences how I use my time that I invested. I'm intentional in serving in the church around me or serving the community around me. I'm intentional with the funds that God has given me, that every dollar that you've been given, God's man understands every dollar I have is something God has given me to steward, to build his kingdom, to be a wise steward over that God's man understands the life they have is short, eternity is long, and they live in light of that. The scriptures are such a gift because they give such a clear mandate for a mission for men, a mission that you can do, and the body of Christ can come along and help you do, a mission that quite frankly, in isolation, you're not going to do, which is why we hit on community and being connected, that in isolation, I'm not going to be the father I wanna be, the husband that I wanna be, the person that I wanna be. And so I need godly men around me to call me to that and call out when I'm not, and so do you. But God's man understands, man, this mission, this mandate, this incredible gift that God has given. And the reality for men is there's something in the human heart, the male heart, that wants a mission and God's word gives it plain as day for you, that you can courageously follow God's word. You're gonna be someone who loves and protects God's woman and you're gonna better our world. Why do I say it? it's clear man's heart connects with this? I mean, think of all the movies that have made millions because they depict a man making sacrificial decisions for the benefit of others. I mean, you go on and on and on. Saving Private Ryan, Band of Brothers. Every Marvel that has made a bajillion dollars consists of somebody sacrificially giving of themselves to care for the world around them. Because Hollywood understands that something in the human heart, male heart that craves to do that, to fight against wickedness and to be a form of good in a world of chaos and evil. And you can do this. And God wants you to do this. And for the sake of the future generations behind you, you have got to do this and make the decision. I'm going to be God's man. Again, Christ is the ultimate example of this. Where Adam failed, Christ 
succeeded, that he bettered our world by leaving the comforts of heaven to courageously give his life and die. Which, in case maybe you're not a believer and you're here for the first time or you're listening online and you've never heard this, just as a side note, what we believe as Christians anchors on Jesus' courageous act. In other words, what it means to be a follower of Christ and what it means to have a relationship with God is not be a good man or be a good woman. What it means to be a follower of Christ is to accept I'm incapable of doing that and I'm not good, but Jesus on the cross died for my sin in my place and he rose again. And that allows you to have a relationship with God, allows you to be God's man. And that's his first concern with you. But it is Jesus' bettering of our world to courageously dying for his bride that shows us the example of this. So we see throughout the scriptures, God's man courageously follows God's word. He loves and protects God's woman and he betters God's world with his children he raised, the work that he has, and the way he serves and lives for eternity in his church and stewards his life and time and resources. Anytime you are lacking direction, you can pull out a compass and it's helpful to navigate, know where you're going to go. And so in the design, we see a clear compass of what it looks like to be God's man. That God's man has a true north. I'm gonna follow God's direction. Just like a compass has north, south, east, and west, my north is God's word. I'm gonna follow God's word. I'm gonna go back to God's word and I'm gonna run my life through the rubric of is this in line or out of line with God's word? What would God's word say about this? It also involves an east, which would be the eaves, the women in your life that come alongside, that you're gonna care, I'm gonna do so, I'm gonna follow God's word and have a mindset that is aware and caring of the eaves that are in my life. There's a south, that's what's behind you, what's coming after you. That would be sea, that would be children. I'm gonna fix my eyes on true north, I'm gonna care for the eaves in my life and I'm gonna lead and love those who are coming after me. And then I've also got west, that's work, that's a job, that's where I'm gonna provide for my family and I'm gonna promote my Savior through how I operate, that there's a compass in a world of chaos to direct and guide us as men. I, I don't know how to adequately convey how important this issue is and how much pain this not happening has caused, how much pain in the room, how much pain in my life, how much pain in our world when men don't courageously follow God's word, care for the eaves, live loving those who come after them and work not for a paycheck, but to provide and promote their savior. Said another way, when they just don't be God's man and how much pain has been introduced. And how the church uniquely provides the voice to call men to be who God created you to be. And you can be that. And you've got to have other men in your life to help you be that. But there's no other voice in society that's saying that. And think of how much pain is coming as a result. In fact, a few years ago, American Idol did a reunion show with Kelly Clarkson. And on that reunion show, she was singing a song that reflected her deep pain from her father and her hope for her husband and their new child for him to be God's man. And in fact, we've got the clip and you can just see the pain all over her face as she shares and sings just a small portion of it. Probably didn't think a sermon on men was gonna end with Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> Here's what you see in that clip. It's undeniable, the pain. Not just in her life, but you see in the eyes of Keith Urban and J-Lo. You see people that connect and resonate. Yes, a father should be kind and great. And yet who in our world 
is encouraging and helping that to be the case other than the church. In other words, our world is not encouraging and promoting that. Our world around us says sleep with whoever you want, do whatever you want, live for whoever you want. And the church uniquely provides the message and the help. And maybe you're listening online or maybe you're here for the first time and here's what you need to know. You can plug into this place and we're not just gonna promote that message, we're gonna help you. We're gonna help you be God's man and we're gonna help each other be God's woman and we are gonna promote. A father should be kind and great. They should be intentional. They should love. They should live for eternity and not for themselves. They should sacrifice themselves for the benefit and good of their children in a world that is full of narcissism, destruction, and tremendous pain at the hands of men and women, of men who are not stepping in God's call and design and created order for them to be God's man. And here's the truth, you can do it. You can do it, but you won't do it on your own. And we wanna help you because we all need help to be God's man, to die to myself, to put the needs of my wife before myself, to put the needs of my children before myself, to be what a father should be, great. Man, if you're not here, and, or you are here, and you've never had a moment of trusting in Christ, the priority that God, who loves you so much, has is that you would receive Jesus, the perfect man, not as a model to follow, though he is, but as your savior. You wouldn't trust in how good you are or working your way and doing enough. You trust in Jesus, his death and his resurrection. And that relationship will change all the other ones. But the rest of us, man, men, there are so many God-honoring, amazing men in here. And to you, I would say, keep going. You're a blessing to our church, to our world, to my life, candidly. And to some of us who are, if we were honest, you, man, you're not living out what God has called you to. He's not angry and he's inviting you, and you have what it takes. You can do this. You can courageously follow his word. You can love the Eves in your life, and you can better this world. And we wanna help you take those steps to do that because you matter. You matter more than a 35-minute message, message could put into words. And what's at stake is more than maybe you even realize, but God's help, his spirit, his people are gonna help you if you want it. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.